Welcome to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. My name is Chris Johnson, and I'm an Associate Director for Academic and Membership Affairs. Our next two episodes are going to focus on the NCAA Division I October Governance Meetings. On October 2nd and 3rd, the NCAA Division I committees will discuss topics and action items for their respective standing committees. In the days immediately following those meetings, the NCAA Division I Council will meet and those standing committees will provide updates and potentially introduce action items that may impact the NCAA Division I landscape and legislation. For this week's episode, we're going to focus on the NCAA Division I Committee meeting agendas. We're going to have an NCAA staff liaison spend a few minutes discussing the work of each committee and highlight areas of interest for the NCAA Division I membership. In addition to being your host today, I'm also a liaison to the NCAA Division I Football Bowl Subdivision and Football Championship Subdivision Committees. I'll provide a brief update on the work of both of these committees. This will be the first in-person meeting since the split of the two football subdivisions, recently called the Football Oversight Committee. The Football Oversight Committee recently divided itself into two subcommittees, the Football Bowl Subdivision Oversight Committee, also known as the FBSOC, and the Football Championships Subdivision Oversight Committee, also known as the FCSOC. This division allows each committee the, the ability to focus on the needs of their respective subdivision. However, members of each of these committees will meet jointly to continue to ensure that there is unity between the two football subdivisions. To begin today's highlights, I will start first with each subdivision's agendas, and then I will discuss the joint conversation regarding the transfer portal windows. Up first is the FBSOC. It's important to note that some of these items may be considered under the newly adopted NCA Division I legislative pilot process that Emily and I discussed in a previous episode. On the first part of the agenda, the FBSOC will begin to review the maximum number of institutional official visits. This past year, a blanket waiver was passed to increase the number of institutional official visits from 56 to 70. The FBSOC will continue to review that blanket waiver and the current landscape to determine whether or not 70 official visits for institutions is the correct number and whether increasing that number has an effect on the current exceptions to official visits. For example, the FBSOC will consider whether or not rolling over the six from the previous year and the head coaching change exceptions are still valid with the increase from 56 to 70 official visits. The second item, the FBSOC, I'd like to highlight is the review of the recruiting calendar and the impact of the expanded college football playoff. The FBSOC will consider the changes to the recruiting calendar made by the Comprehensive Recruiting Review, in addition to other changes as a result of the expanded college football playoff and the impact that the college football playoff has on the National Letter of Intent program. Finally, the FBSOC will review the number of preseason practice participants. Currently, a blanket waiver was in place for the 23 fall season to increase the number of preseason practice participants. The FBSOC will consider whether that blanket waiver needs to be codified within legislation, specifically to 120, or another number specific to institutional limits. Moving on to the FCSOC, 
The FCSOC will review the postseason participation blanket waiver that's currently active in FBS and determine whether or not FCS would also like to extend that same blanket waiver that would permit institutions to exempt postseason participation from the limit of four contests in a season that a student-athlete may participate in without using a season of competition. The FCS OC will consider the impact that it's had on FBS, but also consider the impact of FCS and determine whether a blanket waiver is necessary for the 23-24 academic year. Similar to the FBS OC, the FCS will also consider whether or not to increase the number of official visit limits in football, including the same exceptions that the FBS OC will also be reviewing. During its joint committee meeting on October 3rd, the FBS OC and FCS OC will establish a position on NCAA Division I Proposal 2023-36. In short, this proposal will shorten the overall time for the notification of transfer windows from 60 total days to 30 total days. The two committees will initially meet separately on October 2nd to establish their own committee's respective position then jointly meet the following day to determine if alignment of FBS and FCS football are necessary. Both committees are reviewing concepts to determine their own level of support. The first option is a two-window option, one that would begin after the season and then one that would stay in the middle of April. The other concept being reviewed is a three-window option, also known as the triple option. That would begin the conclusion of the regular season the conclusion of the postseason, and then maintain the current one in April. Generally speaking, there seems to be alignment on the following. The FBS and FCS windows should be aligned for transparency and equal recruiting opportunities for both FBS and FCS institutions and student-athletes. That a window should open following the regular season, but also maintain the current spring window. There are conversations that the first window should begin to open the Monday following the FBS Conference Championship weekend. However, there are still significant discussions to be had at both the FBS level and FCS. However, maintaining the current April 15th through April 30th spring window seems to be a favorable option for both subdivisions. Where there tends to be a significant difference between the two concepts is the makeup and duration of the windows following the regular season. The two football committees will continue to discuss their positions together on October 3rd following the October 2nd individual meetings they have together. Ideally, they would put forth a joint recommendation aligning the FBS and FCS transfer portal windows. And with that, I'll move back into my host role of this podcast. Next up, we have Charnel Kemper, Director of Academic and Membership Affairs and Liaison to the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee. Charnel, welcome. I know the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee, also known as MBOC, has been looking at the recruiting calendar. What is the committee discussing at its October meeting and its anticipated timeline for legislative changes? Sure. The MBOC is scheduled to review the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, recommended recruiting calendar changes at their upcoming meeting. And what the NABC has submitted reflects, I believe, a really a, an attempt to modernize the men's basketball recruiting calendar in response to the evolving transfer environment in men's basketball 
and well as improved work-life balance for the men's basketball coaches. So the, the overview of the changes really impact the period between April and July, what's generally known as the, the summer, um, summer evaluation period, um, reflecting the fact that coaches are now spending a lot more time recruiting in March and April um, because of the transfer portal window than they used to and therefore want more time on campus to spend with our student athletes during the summer and summer access and less time on the road recruiting uh, during the, the June and July summer months. So the MBOC will formally consider the recommendations submitted by the NABC. And if supported, it's anticipated that the through the new pilot legislative process, the MBOC will sponsor legislation then the membership will be provided an opportunity to provide feedback that the MBOC will review during its November 27th meeting and could then at that time approve the or adopt the legislation as then it would be subject to review during the January council meeting. So any changes, um, if all goes according to plan, wouldn't be effective until um, the follow, following the conclusion of the council meeting in January. Probably the biggest topic of this week's council and committee meetings is proposal 2023-36. Charnel, talk to us about MBOC's position and its rationale behind this proposal. I think as folks probably know, um, the transfer window, transfer conversation has been a hot topic of conversation among the the men's basketball community now for for several years. The current recommendation from the MBOC is to reduce the transfer window from 60 to 30 days, as well as um, change the the start of the the window and and end date of the window. And it really centers around the the uniqueness of, of men's basketball with um, the timing of the conclusion of the season in in March and into early April for most programs, and then the start of summer access and for most men's basketball student athletes enrollment in summer school. And so for that reason, the MBOC uh, continues to strongly support a 30-day transfer window um, with background that many student athletes have based on data that the research staff has provided um, ha- have enter the window within the first four weeks, even though last year the window extended for 60 days. And seemingly the, the hypothesis at least is that student athletes take several weeks to months contemplating their decision to transfer prior to the conclusion of their season. But it's important to know that that's really only the first step in the um, ultimate decision on on where to transfer. And the MBOC feels that the student athletes must also have appropriate time to engage in remaining steps of the transfer process, including the recruiting process, making a decision, getting to campus and enrolling for summer school, as well as um, be on campus to participate uh, with their their new team at the start of the summer access period. In developing their position, 
I understand the Coaches Association and the Men's Basketball Student Athlete Engagement Group played a significant role in the development of MBOC's position on this proposal. Can you elaborate on their role in the process? Um, the Coaches Association is is in agreement with the, the MBOC's um, direction on um, reducing the, the window for the reasons I noted. The Student Athlete Engagement Group has also played a big role and um, they've the, the group has talked about the transfer windows both during their August as well as their September meeting. Their September meeting just occurred last evening. So um, have some breaking news to share, if you will. Um, previous, the, the student athletes um, were were in support of a 30 day window. But after further contemplation, they um will support a 45-day window consistent with what we've heard from the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, um, primarily because they believe that their counterparts need the 45-day window in order to make these important decisions. Thank you, Charnel. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Now we have Katie and Kelly, Associate Director for Academic and Membership Affairs and Liaison to the Women's Basketball Oversight Committee. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you asking. Let's start with arguably the hottest topic this week for the council, proposal of 2023-36. How did WBOC come to their position and who was involved in the development of the committee's position? Yes, absolutely. Um, so we actually met with the, um, we've had several conversations with the Women's Basketball Oversight Committee on the transfer window discussion And um, based off of feedback that was provided to staff in June, we took that information and and gathered um, a couple concepts to put back in front of the Women's Basketball Oversight Committee for them to to further review. And um, they've reviewed those concepts uh, a couple times in September. um, And then we also reviewed them at one of our joint meetings with the Men's Basketball Oversight Committee. And in the development of the concepts, we did reach out to our student-athlete engagement group where they were able to review each of the concepts and provided um, their feedback on, on the concepts that, that have been developed. Thank you, Katie. And let's talk a little deeper into the concept being discussed by WBOC. Yes. So the concept, one of the, the, we've narrowed down the concepts to really kind of center around the selection Sunday. Again, these are all um, still being under review. So nothing is yet finalized um, pending council's vote. So we had the selection Sunday um, concept, and then we had a concept that was surrounding the elite eight. Um, We also had a concept uh, that the transfer window would open after the second round um, of the NCA championships. And so in reviewing those with the committee and with the student athlete engagement group, they were able to, to take a look at, you know, is this really, do we want to be within 30 days? Do we want to be within the 45 days? And generally, um, each of those concepts do center around a 30 day, um, window. Similar to MBOC, WBOC is taking a look at the recruiting calendar. Can you provide us some information and some highlights of those discussions? Yes. So the Women's Basketball Oversight Committee has spent some time looking at um, the recruiting calendar and 
there aren't any changes per se that are that are on the table right now as far as any discussions of any changes. Um, but it's really just to take a, you know, take a look at we had year one of the recruiting calendar. What went well? Where can we um, either further educate, better educate the membership um, based off of some of the changes that came out in the recruiting calendar? Uh, the other thing that happened was this past summer was the first year of the College Basketball Academy for Women's. And so there will be some continued discussion in regards to what is the best time of the year for that to actually take place. Is that going to be um, continue with the um, the dates that we had this year or is it is it going to potentially be sooner? Again, those aren't um, any conversations that are solidified, but just again, just taking a, a, a look at year one and evaluating and, and seeing where we can either be better or do better. Um, as we move forward with the recruiting calendar and the recruiting model. Finally, I saw that there will be additional conversations surrounding the Summer Basketball Initiative on the agenda. Talk to us about that agenda item. Yeah, so in this particular um, meeting, we're not going to have a ton of discussion on this particular topic, but felt that it was it would probably be good to, to um, include in this podcast. Uh, just to, to make the membership aware that there is continued conversation about the Summer Basketball Initiative. Um, as you all know, in June of this, this year, that concept went in front of the council and um, did not move forward. Uh, so the each committee, so Women's Basketball Oversight Committee, is, is taking a look at the um, current legislation and looking at ways to either further expand or or to eliminate certain aspects. Um, but again, this is all ongoing conversations and just wanting the membership to be aware that these conversations are continuing to occur within the Women's Basketball Oversight Committee. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly make sure we, we keep folks um, up to date on any any concepts that may come out of any discussions with that group. Thanks so much, Kadian. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you. Now, we're pleased to welcome Danielle Day, Assistant Director for Academic and Membership Affairs, Student Athlete Experience Committee Liaison, and University of Kentucky Athletics Swimming and Diving Hall of Famer. Danielle, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, let's dive into the work of SAEC. <laughs> Proposal number 2023-36 is a hot topic amongst the council materials. Has SAEC begun developing a position on the proposal? Yeah, Chris, you're right. It's uh, the, the transfer windows have been a hot topic for uh, the last academic year, and the committee has dedicated time at, I would say, each of its meetings during this last academic year to discussing the current transfer windows and determining whether they should be changed in the future. At its meeting, they'll spend quite a lot of time reviewing data that's been pulled together by our research staff about the timing of student-athletes' entrance into the transfer portal in the last academic year and considering the appropriate length and start date of the transfer windows moving forward. I do think it's important with to understand with SAEC they're different from the basketball and football committees because they have to consider the application for all sports. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. So SAEC has oversight over every sport that doesn't have a separate oversight committee. So that's every sport other than than football and men's and women's basketball. Um, the 
committee also will spend quite a bit of time considering the recommendation from the Division I Student Athlete Advisory Committee that uh, supports a 45-day window for notification of transfer. And that recommendation from the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, also known as SAC, was to increase that number from 30 to 45 days, correct? Yes. So the proposal as it stands now is a decrease from 60 days to 30 days, and SAC supports a proposal that is right in the middle there at 45 days. And so the SAEC will consider whether it should be 30 days or 45 days or some other combination in their upcoming meeting. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. And then taking a look at the SAC recommendation from 30 to 45 days, it's important to note that the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, the general rationale behind the increase from 30 to 45 days in that recommendation was to allow student athletes the opportunity to really evaluate their current academic and athletic endeavors, but also weigh the options um, of future athletic and academic endeavors, whether that be at the current institution or the next institution. Um, finally, Danielle, moving away from, from that proposal, I'd like to talk about SAEC as a whole. Um, it's a legislative path, as you've alluded to, for sports other than football and basketball. Um, is there anything the committee has considered legislatively or even in a blanket waiver that you know the membership should keep an eye on? Yeah, you're right, Chris. So this committee regularly engages with and relies on the coaches associations of the sports it oversees um, just because they cover such a breadth of different sports that they recognize that they don't have boots on the ground to understand what is top of mind for the student athletes and the coaches in these respective sport communities. So uh, as you pointed to this, the committee during this cycle will consider uh, requests for legislative changes on kind of a lot of different fields. That'll be recruiting calendars, playing and practice seasons, outside competition, and even in-season foreign competition as well. So um, expect to see updates as blan- blanket waivers or potentially proposals uh, recommended at the Division One Council meeting uh, in some sports-specific spaces. Thanks, Danielle, for that quick preview of SAEC's October meetings and for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, welcome in our first repeat guest, Emily Capehart, Associate Director of Academic and Membership Affairs and liaison to the Legislative Committee. Emily, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Chris. It's great to have you back. As a liaison for the Legislative Committee, um, talk to us about any future agenda items that are going to be for the October governance meetings that maybe the Division One membership should keep an eye on. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So um, as the <clears throat> Division One Legislative Committee, they will spend a, a, a chunk of their agenda looking at the legislative action items that are on the council's meeting that will occur the next day. Um, as a reminder, the role of the Legislative Committee is really uh, there to help the council um, issue spot and make informed decisions about the items on their uh, agenda for potential action. So now that we're um, at the, towards the very end of this first October cycle in the new pilot program, uh, the Legislative Committee will reflect upon the input on the various proposals that are in this cycle, that are in the official notice for the cycle, and determine whether, again, they want to take any final positions um, in support of any of those proposals 
or again, just provide um, input for the council to consider the following day as they um, decide whether or not to take action on any of those proposals. I think one of the proposals that a lot of people are uh, interested in seeing what happens is the proposal related to the undergraduate transfer windows. The legislative committee um, will, um, I, I imagine, you know, provide some perspective on the various uh, projected amendments that will be asked in regards to that proposal. So we know that certain sports will, um, uh, sport oversight committees as well as Division One SAC have perspectives on what to do with the undergraduate transfer windows. And so the legislative committee kind of as the, you know, um, overall will we'll, we'll look at those various uh, positions coming from the other oversight committees and may offer an opinion on the council on how to uh, think about um, kind of incorporating all of that feedback um, in their meeting the subsequent day. Yeah, that's, that's great feedback and understanding what LC or the Legislative Committee is taking a look at. Uh, recognizing that there are two other groups or subcommittees underneath the Legislative Committee, um, the first one being the, the Rules Modernization Subcommittee. Uh, are they taking a look at, at anything that maybe you know, the Division One membership should keep an eye on? Yeah, thanks for following up on that, Chris. Modernization of the Rules Subcommittee is continuing to do uh, a lot of great work for for Division One. There, um, at at different points um, in the process with with different uh, areas of of legislation. Um, for example, some of the areas in Bylaw Twelve that they've been um, working on really since the spring are um, more in a feedback phase, trying to get input from um, other sport communities. And so, again, those areas would, would be primarily um, the ones related to uh, professionalization and pre-enrollment professionalization um, concepts in Bylaw 12. So those are ongoing. Um, the ones that the areas that MRS has more recently begun to look at include air, um for example, outside competition in Bylaw 17. So they'll be talking more about that at their in-person meeting, as well as looking at some of the feedback that came to them from the NAC uh, Legislative and Governance Committee. Uh, they identified, again, some areas which um, within Bylaw 17 that they believe could be modernized and referred that to uh, modernization. So they'll be looking at that, those areas at their in-person meeting next week as well. So stay tuned for, for where those um, concepts go from from here. Great. And, and moving on to the, the other committee that kind of has the, is underneath the legislative committee is the Committee for Legislative Relief. Uh, I also serve as a liaison to that committee as well. And they're talking about something that impacts, you know, both of us and our work with the national office regarding uh, the previously approved waiver and postgraduate transfers. Uh, do you mind just elaborating a little bit on on what the discussions or, or what should the membership keep an eye on? So the Committee for Legislative Relief uh, is going to be um, talking about, again, those, those waiver guidelines that um, apply to postgraduate transfers, um, mainly the ones who've already used their one-time exception as an undergraduate student. So looking at the the expectations for what those guidelines should look like going forward. I think now that we're in this era with transfer windows, um, there has been kind of just ongoing discussion about 
whether um, postgraduate uh, transfers who who need a waiver to establish their eligibility at a new school, whether they should be held to the same kind of legislative deadline that their counterparts um, using the one-time exception um, need to comply with. So looking at that date piece in regards to accessing the the postgraduate waiver guidelines is going to be a part of the Committee for Legislative Relief um, discussion. And as you mentioned, if there were to be any recommended changes to our current waiver guidelines that that the membership are familiar with, um, those would be made um, to LC. LC would, would look at and have to, again, kind of decide whether they agreed with any of those recommendations. But I think the important piece for the membership to um, be be aware of is that the recommendations would be for next year, for the 24-25 academic year. So it wouldn't be for, I understand we're already in the 23-24 academic year, but if you've had any um, uh, postgraduate transfers that, that haven't yet been certified, the, we're not talking about changes for this year's cohort of, of Division I postgrad transfers. It's about what do we want the waiver process to look like moving forward. Yeah, and, and we talk about kind of the, the establishment. It's for establishing eligibility for the 24-25, right? So That's right. And, and looking ahead at that one, the Committee for Legislative Relief is meeting the week prior to the, all of the standing committees and all of the council meetings. So it's important to keep an eye on it. You know, that Committee for Legislative Relief report and Stephen Laporta is going to take, the, as the chair of the Committee for Legislative Relief, he's going to take that feedback from the Committee for Legislative Relief to the Legislative Committee to discuss those kind of potential changes or if it's going to remain the same. So it's really important to keep an eye on on both of these two committees related to postgrad transfers. I agree. Emily, once again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, she alluded earlier to a legislative pilot process uh, we did have a podcast where Emily w- recently came on and discussed that legislative pilot process. Uh, a few times throughout this uh, podcast, we've talked about the legislative pilot process, and I'd recommend going to listen to how that legislative pilot process works um, in previous episodes. Emily, thank you again. Thanks, Chris. Next up, Troy Arthur, Director of Academic and Membership Affairs and Liaison to the Strategic Vision and Planning Committee. Troy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. Troy, give us uh, the rundown. What is the Strategic Vision and Planning Committee, also known as SVPC, taking a look at? Well, the committee has a busy agenda. They have a number of issues that they're going to be reviewing, Um, a lot of it related to membership, and I'll dive in a little bit more and talk a little bit more about that. But they're also looking at, and I'll start with the uh, issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. Uh, the committee had a subgroup that looked at those issues for the Transformation Committee, um, which started earlier this spring. And so they had a number of recommendations that they are recommending to the council for vote, hopefully. Awesome. And, and talk to us a little bit further. You, you mentioned some, some membership requirements as well. Um, do you mind expanding a little bit further on that? Absolutely. So membership is something that's important to obviously Division One and making sure that campuses are ready and conferences for that matter um, to provide the best experience possible for student athletes. So the committee's looking at a number of different issues to make sure not only that the process is fair and equitable, but they also wanna make sure that it's helping student athletes to succeed. So a couple of things that they're gonna be looking at 
Uh, the first is they're going to be looking at the institutional reclass process, and that school's going from Division two or three to Division one. Um, as you know, Chris, going from Division three to one is a five-year process, and the process going from Division two to Division one is a four-year process. So the committee is going to look at all of the requirements and things that institutions need to do to show their readiness for Division one. So they just want to evaluate that and make sure that those requirements are where they should be. Right. And so the, the reclass process is also the reclassification process from Division two or three to Division one. And just to make sure that everyone is aware, reclass is just short for reclassification. Reclassification. Thank you, Chris. Um, the other thing they're going to be looking at is the requirements to be a multi-sport conference. And as you know, we have 33 multi-sport conferences in Division one. And so the membership has asked us to look at what are the requirements to be a multi-sport conference. So the committee is going to take some time and look at that and make some recommendations, hopefully in the next uh, several months, hopefully by the January meeting, but we'll see how far they get. Um, the next thing they're going to be looking at is the area of single sport conferences. Um, single sport conferences are um, typically um, one sport that they sponsor, and they have a number of schools across the um, Division One membership who choose to sponsor that sport. Typically, it's not basketball or, or football. Typically, they're one of our smaller sponsored sports, like sports like men's volleyball, women's gymnastics, um, ice hockey is another one um, that have a, has a smaller sponsorship number that you typically will see. So not your basketballs or footballs. We're going to look at that, look at the requirements to be a single sport conference, see if there should be any changes or um, requirements that should be added to that process. Uh, the next one we're going to be looking at is conference reclassification. So that is a you know, Division One subdivision conference moving to FCS or an FCS conference moving to FBS. Um, and just to make sure I know I'm using a number of acronyms. So um, for the FCS, we're talking about the football championship subdivision. And that's schools that are playing football who want to move to the football bowl subdivision. And that's something that we refer to as FBS. So they're going to be looking at a number of uh, issues related to that. Um, we used to have a requirement for attendance. That's something that I think the group might be recommending be eliminated. So they're looking at other requirements to distinguish between FBS and FCS. The other thing that is um, being reviewed that the committee is going to be looking at, there is a proposal um, that they're hoping to vote on for um, FBS members. Um, and there's some membership requirements for FBS. Um, they're looking at increasing the requirements for a school moving from FCS to FBS. One of the things they're looking at is um, increasing the fee. Currently, the fee for a FCS school going to FBS is $5,000, and they're looking at increasing that amount to $5 million. So we'll see how the council and others feel. Um, they could take action at this meeting, or they could push it back to January. So we'll see what the council wants to do with that proposal. Um, the next thing, um, they have a recommendation from 
the Committee on Women's Athletics. Um, one, they want to move women's wrestling to the emerging sport category. So that's something that they'll discuss and talk about. And as I said, that's a recommendation coming from um, the Committee on Women's Athletics, or we commonly call them CWA. So they'll be looking at that. The other thing they're going to look at is stunt, and they're going to look to the equivalencies for stunt, which is what they use for financial aid. It's a, you know, how many um, student athletes do you have that are receiving aid right now? The recommendation is to move it from nine to 14. So right now for the sport, you're allowed to have nine equivalencies. They want to move that to 14. So they'll have some conversation about that and see if they want to move that um, recommendation forward to the council for approval. Um, and then last but not least, we have um, a number of recommendations that are coming from the Committee on Competitive Safeguard and Medical Aspects of Sport and also our Sports Science Institute. So they have a number of recommendations that they're going to be making to the committee. So we'll be hearing a report from them. And those are the highlights and kind of the main things that they're gonna be talking about at this meeting. Wow, that is a packed agenda for, for SVPC. Um, in, is there anything else that maybe it's in the infancy stages that SVPC is taking a look at um, that the membership should keep an eye on uh, for the future, even looking past this council? Uh, in-person meeting? Yeah, great question, Chris. Um, the Transformation Committee, when they were looking at a number of things in Division One, they had asked the Strategic Envision Planning Committee to look at um, issues related to membership. Now, I just shared with you four of the issues that they're looking at, but actually there were nine issues that they were looking at. So they're going to once the council decides what they want to do with the four that I just talked about a little bit earlier, they're going to see what they want to do with the other five um, issues that they're looking at. So that's going to be sometime this spring. Um, they'll start looking at some of those other issues. And um, again, they're just trying to do a deep dive into membership. What does it mean to be a Division One member? Obviously, the landscape in Division One has changed significantly um, with all the things that are happening. Um, so they just want to make sure that the requirements to be Division One is keeping up with those changes. Troy, thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the podcast today. And really thank you to all of our committee liaisons for taking the time today to, to really discuss the committees they support um, and help provide the membership kind of a sneak peek or a preview of what's going to occur this week at the council meetings. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. We're going to continue to cover the work of the NCAA Division I governance process with our next episode that will air in two weeks. Mm -hmm.